Welcome back. Question and answer. So when we, <laughs> we've had a lot of questions in the past hour, uh, and I, I don't have answers prepared for all of them. So this, uh, we're going to run through this quick. I'm confused over the meaning of Luke 22:36. This is the text where Christ sends uh, his disciples out and they, they say, well, we need to be carrying a weapon. We have two swords. And he said, that will be plenty. That will be enough. Are we to arm ourselves for self-defense as implied by Jesus telling the disciples to buy swords? And then the next verse, he says that two swords are enough for 11 disciples. What's the interpretation of the text? Uh, so my understanding is that the first group of disciples that were sent out, they were told to take nothing. They were told to take their cloaks and the shoes on their feet and to go spread the gospel. And if a town rejected them, they were to shake the dust off the sandals and, and move on. Why? Because God is not going to coerce his way. Christ is not going to coerce anyone to listen to his message. Coercion only exists in the, in the government of Satan. But when he sent out the 70, the second group that went out, they were told to take take some weaponry. Why do you think, why why the difference? Was, was God not going to protect the second group that went out? Or maybe he told them just to take swords for their own peace of mind, and he, he knew that they wouldn't need them, but it, it might have been a barrier to them wanting to go. And as far as as far as Christians arming themselves today, I struggle with that. I struggle mighty with that because I have an arsenal at my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have weapons and plenty of ammo. And I've struggled about why I have all that. Would I be, would I be willing to take a life if they were threatening mine? Is that, is that the godly, is that the Christ-like way to, to behave? Sometimes all you need to deter evil is the appearance that you can have yourself. Yeah, the, the, the appearance of strength, the appearance of force, that's correct. And, and I've, I've processed that as well. So I, I, don't have a, I don't have a great hard and fast answer for that. I think it's a decision that every, every person should make in their own mind. Let everyone be convinced in their own mind about defend, defending their, themselves, their property, their loved ones. Um. I don't think you know what you were going to do until the situation. Until you're faced with it. And, and that's right. That's correct. And that's, that's another thing I struggle with because police officers who've had to use their, their, their sidearm, uh, in, in the course of their job, when they're confronted with that, they sometimes hesitate, even though they've been trained to do it. So I, I don't know what's going to I don't know what would happen. I, I actually pray that I, I never can get confronted with it. I hope I never have to face that decision. So if, you, if you think about it in the terms of them taking a sword along with them, um, the swords were visible. They were Generally, yeah, it's hard to hide one. Yeah, it's pretty hard to hide one. Um, if you had one, others knew it. And if you have a way of preventing someone from sinning against you and thus harming them. Damaging them, their own character then that's a positive thing. Whether or not you're willing to injure them in return, that's in your own heart and mind. Uh, that's a great insight. I agree. Um, so, yeah, it may be the, the, appearance, the appearance of a weapon would, would, would prevent someone from... Yeah. I mean, I, I know somebody who, who drives truck uh, for a living, and he was at a construction site, and there were people stealing 
from vehicles and someone came to his vehicle and they were going to essentially attempt to kick him out of it and take it. But he had a firearm sitting on the wind, on the dash. Really? And he just pointed at it. He drove a big truck? It's a, a construction vehicle, so it's a decent-sized truck, yeah. But it's not a, it's a semi, not a semi-truck. It's not a semi. Okay, because, yeah, the, the feds uh, don't like that. Uh, it's, it's not a semi. Okay, good. This kid who was going to carjack yeah. stepped up, saw the gun, turned around. Thought twice, yeah. So, in that case, it was effective. Yep. Prevent somebody from doing something to damage themselves. Anyway. What about when there have been people, uh, some nut goes in and kills everybody in the restaurant, and there's one little guy in the corner who has a gun and he shoots. Yeah, he, he prevents a further loss of life. No, I think, I think something like a situation like that, it, it would be a godly use of force. Um, again, I pray I'm never confronted with it. There have also been, just recently, just this past year, there have been two, two stories of shooters, mall shooters. There was, there was a guy with a weapon who eliminated the mall shooter, and then the guy who eliminated the mall shooter was killed by, by law enforcement because they thought that he was a shooter. Next question. What exactly is the goal of Satan and evildoers? Do they want our worship? Do they want to control us? Do they want us dead? Because I feel like I see all of those things going on, and I'm trying to make sense of it. All right, so what is the goal of Satan? What's, goal, what's Satan's goal? He wants to be God. Good. That's right. He, he wants the adoration given to God. He wants the power of God. He wants... Uh, but I think above and beyond that, now he wants to hurt God. He wants to damage God. And any, anything that damages God's creation and damages God's image makes him happy. He wants his image in us. He wants to replace God's image and and put his own in our in God's place. I've often wondered how. Um, how he keeps his his uh, his army his minions uh, organized i mean because god's god of order and the opposite of 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 god is is lucifer satan which is disorder so i i don't i don't know how he keeps how how does he keep his how does he keep his minions from being angry with him from leading them into uh for leading them and, and getting them kicked out of heaven. How, does he do it simply um, fear? Do they just fear? Are they afraid of him? How, how, does, it, how does he maintain some sort of a, a uh, organizational hierarchy? Are they all just united in their hatred of Christ? Is that what unites them? So to answer your question, I mean, I, I think he wants all of those things. I, I think... I think he would have loved to have seen humanity eradicated as a species. He came close. The flood. In him three, three goals. He said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He'll steal what he can. He'll kill what he can. He'll destroy what he can. And the only thing to stop him is God. Next question. Help me make sense of all the Bible promises like ask and you will receive. All things are possible if you believe and many more. I ask many times with no answer. Well, this may be one of those times as well. 
So texts and promises like this, uh, I think, are conditional. If if our character has been is being transformed into Christ likeness, then are we going to ask for things in harmony with Christ's character or out of harmony with Christ's character? In harmony. So if your character is being transformed into Christ's likeness, are you going to are you going to ask for the next week's lottery numbers? Probably not, because you won't even bother buying a ticket. One of my favorite bumper stickers of all times is um, lotteries are something like lotteries are a tax on those who failed math <laughs> because the odds are so staggering. Uh, you think that your one or two dollar ticket is going to win. So if our will is in harmony with God's will, then things like ask and you will receive. Make, makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? If if our will is corrupted and satanic, then asking and receiving tends to make less sense. Ask in the character of Jesus. No, right, that's right. In the name, the character. And the there are times that we can ask for something that would be in the will of God. So say, for example, I have a relative who uh, has rejected God. I can pray for that person and ask God to work in their life as much as possible to try to bring them back to him, but he will not override their personal choice. That's right. He will only operate in harmony with his, his design laws, including the law of liberty. Next question. Do you see any parallels between baptism and marriage? Yes, I do. Uh, it makes breathing very difficult. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I don't. Does it, did any of you see any parallels between baptism and marriage? I would say there are more parallels between baptism and a wedding, for example. They're both symbols of a change in, in heart and in life, but they do not actually, in and of themselves, mean the changes there. So Correct. Yeah. What would God's design law say about baptizing individuals who have unresolved sinful tendencies? There's such turmoil here on the West Coast regarding baptizing LGBTQ RS into the SDA church. Can an SDA official baptize LGBTQ plus into family of God and not be on the books as a card-carrying SDA but still attend SDA services? I think God's design law wants us to love all sinners. I believe that God's design law is that male and female intimate relationships are natural and the best. Uh, okay, so first of all, when we are baptized, are we baptized into a denomination or are we baptized into Christ? Should be into Christ. Should be into Christ. Okay. Same thing with marriage. When you get married, you're married in Christ, but the state has stepped in and codified marriage and, and wrecked it from what it was original design. So baptizing, if you baptize in individuals that have unresolved, if you only baptize individuals that had resolved sinful tendencies, there would be no baptisms. Okay? Churches, the, the church was designed to be a place where sinners could come and be uplifted, 
whatever whatever their sin is, whatever their sinful tendency is, whether it's homosexuality or whether it's heterosexual promiscuity, whether it's pride, whether it's pride that you're not gay or cigarette smoking or internet pornography, name, name your poison. And how, how many churches do you know that function that way? They're welcoming to to sinners and who say, you know what? I struggle with that same thing. Here are some strategies that I that I used to to get over it. I, I've yet to see one. They do. What do you, you say to the person who comes in and says, oh, I, "Yeah, I, I'm a thief. I've been stealing for years, and I love it. I, I think it's the best thing I ever did. And I'm going to continue to do it. Everybody should be doing." Okay, well, that's a different argument. Someone who's someone who's openly, willingly uh, sinning and making a concerted effort to get others to follow along that same path. Uh, I think those 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 folks should be excluded. For example, if if someone came into our meeting in drag, a transvestite came to our meeting, a crossdresser came in and started disrupting the the meeting, I, I would ask them to leave. What if they didn't disrupt? I'd be glad they were there, in my opinion. There's a difference between people just coming to church and baptizing people into the church, not into the God's relation. I'm talking about if the Adventist church baptizing them into the church. I mean, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. I don't think that we can openly accept sinful things that people do openly and expect them to be able to hold offices in the church. Baptized in the church. Well, okay, so holding offices in a church is a different argument. I agree. Um, so, I mean, I understand this guy's, or whoever this, yeah, it is, it is a male who wrote the question. I understand his, uh, his angst because the, this, this whole, um, the, the alphabet group, the LGBTQ plus, uh, crowd, is much more prevalent and much more vocal and much more militant on the West Coast. Yeah, but there's also a confusion between what baptism is. Like yeah. you said, there's, there's baptism that is biblical, which is baptizing someone into Christ because they have decided that they want to follow that path, essentially, to follow the way, right? That's biblical baptism. What we do now is a symbol brought into an organization. Correct. Um, and so we actually do what we are, I think, in many ways, cautioned not to. Uh, do you agree to this doctrine, this doctrine, this doctrine, this doctrine, all of these doctrines, and then you can be baptized into an organization. Mm-hmm. That is not the same thing. That's right. And back in, in the first century church, there were two distinct different types of baptism. There was the baptism into repentance, and there was the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Yes. All right, next question. How does one know if he's believing truth or not? Seeing the most everyone alters his understanding now and then, i.e. believing in the remedy version of Scripture, uh, etc. Thank you. Okay, so how does one believe, know that he's believing in truth? We've, we have uh, developed the uh, integrated evidence-based approach to discerning truth. We, we take three threads of evidence. What are they? Scripture. Scripture's number one. Our, our personal experience and 
science, i.e., uh, how does reality actually work? And you harmonize rightly understood, understand these things have to be rightly understood because there are 41,000 plus different uh, denominations of Christianity all using one book to defend their, their denomination's approach. So rightly understood, scripture, science, and personal experience should harmonize, and that gives you an indication of whether or not the thread you're following is true or not. If only one of those, if you only follow one of those paths, you're going to be led down the pathway of deceit. Even if you're only following two of them and you're eliminating the other one, the pathway will be more subtle deceit. Uh, let's see. I think that's the second part, third part of that question. Uh, let's see. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, now that's going to have to be it. All right, let's close with prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the many, many blessings and the many evidences of your faithfulness and truth that you have given us. Uh, and we ask for continued strength and wisdom and discernment uh, to to navigate the closing uh, events of Earth's history. Uh, help us be better reflectors of your character. Help us be better repositories of your truth and help us be better at sharing these things with uh, others so that we can win more souls to Christ. In his name, amen.